0: Hello everyone and welcome back to episode 108 of the Back Pain Podcast. Today we are talking about a modern chiropractic approach to lower back pain with myself, Rob Bevan. Welcome to the Back Pain Podcast with Rob and Dave, the only show geared specifically to help educate you about your back pain. We talk to the experts to bust the myths, break down the science, and give you all the top tips for living pain-free. So, if you're driving to work, tidy in the house, or even laid up at home in pain, we have something for everyone. Right guys, hello and welcome, to, welcome back to uh, the Back Pain Podcast, episode 108. I'm your host, Rob Bevan, and today we're going to be talking about lower back pain. Chiropractic, what chiropractic is, the management of lower back pain, why it's so poorly managed... What chiropractic is and hopefully bust some myths around chiropractors. And then how we as healthcare professionals can improve our interactions with people who have lower back pain. So this is an interesting one both for patients with back pain and also for clinicians. So firstly, how big is the problem of lower back pain? Well, low back pain in the UK is massive. Around one third of the population in the UK will suffer with back pain every year, about 28.5%. About 20% of these people will see their GP each year and around £1.6 to £1.7 billion is spent annually both in the public and private sectors for treatment of low back pain. The estimated cost to the economy is around £10 billion a year and that's from the British Pain Society and around 30% of people will still have pain after 12 months. About 15% of people who have back pain and are off work because of back pain will still be off work after 12 months too. So the problem is huge and it's costing us a fortune. So what's the problem with how back pain is often managed? Well, there's a huge over-reliance on scanning and what we call structural pathology, which is often the fault of the society that we live in. With people wanting to seek the cause of their pain and with very little time through no fault of their own, often clinicians don't try to imply any malice, but just don't have the time to explain findings in greater detail. There's an example of this, which I know I've used before on the podcast, where I had an elderly lady who stepped off a curb um, and had a first episode of back pain. And she was, um, her bone density was quite poor. She was osteoporotic. And obviously, you know, this can be a cause of what we call a compression fracture or a type of fracture in the spine. And she saw her GP who referred her for an x-ray for obvious reasons. And she rang back a week later for the results and spoke to a different GP who says, your x-ray shows you have some advanced arthritis go and see a physio. Now I saw her a few days later, she ended up coming to my clinic and I asked her what the issue was. And she says, well, I stepped off a curb and it gave me arthritis. Now this obviously isn't the patient's fault. Her GP was obviously only reading the results of an X-ray in front of her, but it shows how an emphasis on structural pathology and language can cause some misinterpretation. Now here's another extreme, but unfortunately common example, which was posted in our podcast, Back Pain Support Group. So hi guys, I need some advice. I saw a back doctor this week who said that my spine was one of the worst he'd ever seen. I explained that I wanted to start a family and he explained that currently if I was to have children with the strain of carrying them around and labour, I would likely end up in a wheelchair within the next 10 years or sooner than expected. He said physio and surgery were a waste of time and discharged me. I'm sat in the car crying now. I can't afford to have children, but I know I want to in the future. What do I do now? Now, I'm sure word for words isn't what the doc said, and I'm not assigning blame here, but what I'm trying to do is get across at how simply words and phrases can be misinterpreted or misunderstood. And given the size of this problem and the amount of poor information out there, how we explain back pain is so, so important. It's one of the reasons why we started this podcast, we need to move away from blaming pain on structural pathology, making the patients feel like they're to blame for their pain or they deserve their pain. This does nothing to aid in recovery for back pain. Now, with regards to that story, we reached out to this uh, this lady, and we did give her some some support and some guidance, and had a couple of Zoom consultations, um, and just helped her understand her pain and what was going on. And she gave us permission to talk about this on the podcast as well. So there was a a happy ending in the end, and she's doing significantly better. So, what is a chiropractic approach to low back pain? Now, I feel this title of you today, which might be a bit clickbaity. Is a little bit confusing because what I hopefully you'll learn from the, from me talking today is that my approach to lower back pain and all healthcare professional approaches to low back pain should be largely similar, no matter what the profession. And I know that we've spoken about this before on the podcast, is that you know there should be high points when it comes to managing lower back pain. So what is chiropractic? Well, the purpose of this talk is to help define chiropractic as a profession, not a treatment type. And I emphasize the term profession because it is necessary to remind ourselves what this means. A profession is not defined by a set of ideas and values. Professions might have ideas and values, but these aren't what distinguish or differentiate them as professions. There is no special chiropractic treatment in the same way there is no special physiotherapy or GP treatment. I feel the way a chiropractor should approach low back pain should be the same as everyone else listening to this podcast if you're a healthcare professional. There may be slight differences in individual approaches, but these shouldn't define an entire profession. The overarching traits should be the same. Now, yes, chiropractic did pin all of its colors on manual therapy and specifically manipulation or backcracking. And this has led to some historical and internal perceptions that manipulation is chiropractic, but the tide is turning. We know there isn't good evidence for the specificity of manual therapy and that specificity isn't also related to better outcomes. And we've placed a larger emphasis on the impact of psychosocial factors in recovery. We as MSK professionals need common values and explanatory frameworks and a unifying theory, and we shouldn't be defined by our techniques. So what should quality care for lower back pain look like? So if we put individual differences aside, as I said before, no matter the profession, we should be hitting the same high points when it comes to managing lower back pain. So what are these? What does quality care look like for lower back pain? Well, for acute lower back pain, patients should be managed at the first stage with pain education and activity advice and then managed with a package of care focusing on cognitive interventions, manual therapy and exercises around fear reduction. If they're deemed at a higher risk of failing to improve using a tool such as the Start Back then these barriers to recovery should be addressed pretty early on. For more chronic or long-standing lower back pain, an early package of exercise therapy, pain education, advice around remaining active should be utilised. And at a second stage of manual therapy and pharmacological interventions and possibly surgical management can be utilised if necessary. So what what is a really good assessment for lower back pain? Now, a healthcare professionals should be fully aware of what a good assessment is for low back pain, but it obviously should include an excellent history. We should be assessing yellow flag yellow flags, patients' thoughts, fears, beliefs, expectations around their prognosis and treatment. We should be assessing for and rule out red flags to make sure nothing serious is going on. And we should safety net our patients. Yes, we are aware of safety netting for things like equina but also for other red flags and what to do if things change. But what do patients want when they see us for low back pain? And if we look at the evidence, it was really nicely summed up in a Twitter thread by Ben Cormack. Six things that patients often want are an explanation for the pain that they're feeling. They want to feel their concerns have been listened to. They want a good connection with their healthcare practitioner. They want to know there's nothing seriously wrong. They want to know how long it's likely to take to get better or their prognosis. And they want a choice in how they receive treatment and what type of treatment they have. So what I'd like to do is break these down a little bit further and go into detail about how each one of these can be developed or improved upon in any interaction we have with a patient so how do we explain back pain given the size of the problem of low back pain we need to think about how we explain it explaining pain to patients is challenging how we explain pain or their problem without being overly struck without being overly focused on structural or specific structural pathology it's far easier to say that your posture your leg length your anterior pelvic tilt is the cause of your pain and show them that in a mirror we as healthcare professionals are in a hugely powerful position the words that we use to use choose to use with a patient can have lifelong implications and can directly impact recovery. Every healthcare professional I know would have seen a patient who was told aged 18, maybe 20, 30 or even 40 years ago by their doctor that their spine was damaged or unstable or they shouldn't lift anything heavier than a shopping bag when we know in 99% of cases this is largely nonsense. We want patients when they leave our treatment room to feel positive, not damaged, broken and fragile. So, how do we explain non specific lower back pain with patients? Now, this isn't a term that I will generally use with a patient. Sometimes people will come to us with this written down, or they've been told it before, or they've got it on a letter. But I'll usually say something along the lines of Nothing you've told me or that I found in any of my tests gives me any cause for concern. Your back is perfectly strong and stable. And whilst we can't pin the pain down to one specific joint or muscle, we know it's likely a combination of a few of them. It's very normal for your back to get sore or sensitive or even really bloody painful after a period of X and we can relate it back to their history. There are also many other factors that can also attribute to why you're experiencing pain right now from sleep, worry, habits, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. But then when it comes to that discussion around why someone has pain right now, there are some far better people that are talking about this than I am. David Poulter is one of them who talks about his rule of twos where the reason you have some pain right now is often after doing too much too often after doing too little for too long. And Greg Lehman uses his cup analogy, which again, I I use a lot, where many things can fill up your metaphorical cup, from stress to worry, anxiety, training, sleep. And when our cup overflows, we can experience a painful episode. So I'd like you to consider an example. We have a 32-year-old male carpenter who loves playing rugby. He's had four weeks of low back pain. He's had a scan from a healthcare professional. This shows some normal age-related change. How we explain these findings to a patient can have long-term implications. So which one of these would you rather hear? You must stop playing rugby and doing any heavy lifting. Your spine shows you have moderate levels of degenerative disc disease or arthritis and you have a few discs that are out. However, with regular care from me, we can stop this arthritis getting much worse, but it will probably always be there. Or would you rather hear your spine is incredibly strong and stable. The changes you have are very common, but still sometimes the spine can get sore. The good news is that being active and moving is really good for your back Lifting and bending whilst they might be sore right now are totally safe. With some exercises, relative rest and some treatment, I have no doubt that this will settle down. Which one of these would you rather hear as a patient? Now this is actually a true story and luckily the chap saw through the original recommendation and realised that five weeks ago he didn't actually have any back pain. So he couldn't comprehend why these changes were such a big deal now. He came to my clinic where his normal back pain settled down within a few weeks and he was back working and playing rugby in no time at all. Now, this isn't me boasting. I might have objectively done a very similar treatment to the other healthcare professional. This is simply me showing the power of the words that we use. Imagine if this chap had stopped bending, stopped lifting, stopped playing rugby or even changed jobs. The impact of that is so much larger. So number two, how do we feel or make a patient feel like their concerns have been listened to? There are a few ways that I like to use to ensure patients feel that they have been listened to or they've been validated One technique I like to use a lot is give them a recap after I've taken a patient's history, simply summarising exactly what I've taken away from what they've told me. It might sound something like, so just to check, you've got everything correct. This pain started early morning after you spent a whole day working on your car engine. It's been going on for about two to three weeks. It's improved about 40% or so, you think, since it started. It's pretty local to your right hand lower back. You've got nothing down your leg. It's improved by walking, swimming, but it gets worse with driving and bending over to do your shoes up. Do I have that correct? I feel this helps to really validate the patient, but also shows is a good way to ensure that I haven't missed anything or I haven't misinterpreted anything that they've told me. I also really like to understand the impact of the problem and that it's having on their life. And I might ask something like, what is the pain currently stopping you from doing? Or if you didn't have pain, what would you be doing? Is there something that made you book an appointment today when you might have been in pain for three, six, 12 months, etc.? Obviously when someone first sees me for back pain, my initial thought is, why are they seeing me today? Obviously, the reason that they say they've booked with me is for back pain or sciatica or hip pain, whatever they might do. But the reason they booked an appointment now is often because that pain is stopping them from doing something that they want to do. This might be mowing the lawn, playing with their grandchildren, or going for a bike ride. Something that they want to do, they can't right now because of pain. Now, understanding this, I think, is a vital part of mine and I think any consultation for back pain. This will help you ascertain their goals and help us prescribe rehab and understand what we need to do to get them back doing the thing that they enjoy. When we relate rehab back to a patient's goals, it really feels like they've been understood. If we have a patient who's getting a lot of pain bending and lifting and is also subsequently very scared of bending and lifting, and we don't understand that in the next six weeks they've got a car to get ready for a show or they're doing up their garden for a big wedding, we better hope that we've educated them on doing some bending and lifting or or included some exercises based around fear reflection. and i'll say something along the lines of in order to get you back working on your car we need to improve your tolerance to bending and lifting if you never bend and lift it's normal that when you spend a whole day doing it it can get pretty sore similar to if you went for a long run after not running for 12 months you'd understand loose be sore afterwards it doesn't mean you're damaging or breaking anything so we just need to improve your tolerance and your strength of doing it progressively gradually slowly Number three, how do we have a good connection with healthcare professionals? And, or how do we as healthcare professionals have a good connection with patients? Well, I like to ask patients their story. I like to talk about them. You know, people like to talk about themselves. And actually, I'm genuinely interested in people's stories. I really care about the people I'm seeing and talking to. So I'm genuinely interested. So I ask people about their hobbies, enjoyments, their friends, their families, their pets. Um, you know, making eye contact and do all things which we just have a normal human interaction. You know, getting rid of those white coat barriers that, you know, people are, can be so nervous when they come to see us for the first time. I like to tell patients there's an open channel of communication going forwards. They can email me, they can call me. I might not be, always be able to get back to you that minute, but I'll always get back to you as soon as I possibly can. Number four, how do we know there's nothing serious going on? Well, I like to talk about how I've come to my decision with a patient. So I often talk through my exam as I'm doing it. There's nothing worse than as a patient lying there being examined, something hurts and you don't really understand why or what or just sit there in silence wondering if it's something serious. So I will you to talk to patients and say, well, you have no radiating pain. You have no numbness in any areas. The test I did, if you remember, shows you have no weakness in your legs, etc. This tells me all the nerves and muscles coming from the back are working well. You might also remember that I asked about weight loss and other what we call red flags. And these are things to rule out, and these are to rule out anything more serious and you've experienced nothing like that. But then I'll often use this as an opportunity to safety net every patient. However, if you were to have any of these issues or if anything were to change, then please let me know as soon as you can. But what about scans? You know, do patients find scans reassuring? Generally, no. Um, Very, very occasionally, I can think of one episode in 10 years where I sent a patient for a a reassurogram. Um, a, a young chap who was very, very worried that he had something serious going on in his spine due to a family member having a serious issue. Um, and he was effectively going to see anyone he could. The first person, he was going to see as many people as I could until someone sent him for a scan. And he eventually we sent him for a scan and there was nothing seriously wrong. And even that was enough to help his pain settle significantly straight away. But I think that's one patient in 10 years I can remember off the top of my head. So then how do we talk about prognosis with low back pain? Again, a really difficult one because we don't, we don't often know. We know that there are a lot of barriers to recovery and we can identify those early with patients using tools like the start back. So when it comes to talking about prognosis, I'll often give ballpark figures. Understanding that patients might come to us with a preconceived connotation around back pain. They might be of the understanding that once they've got back pain, it's there for life after seeing their friend or family member have it for such a long time. So I ask questions to gain an understanding what they think about pain and i think that's really important and then we can use this as a myth busting exercise to help dissuade some of their fears worries and concerns i like to give ballpark figures you know i would expect this to get progressively better within the next few weeks i'd also explain that recovery is non-linear there might be ups and downs and that a better way of looking at recovery is week to week or month to month rather than a day to day if we expect to get better every single day or progressively better every single day and then we have a bad day it can be quite challenging I'll also explain that I'm not just looking for an improvement in pain, I'm also looking for an improvement in function. So whilst the pain levels might be similar, you might find that you can do a lot more, or walk further, or go to the gym with the pain levels being the same or similar. And to me, that's also a step in the right direction. If we're only focused on pain, then sometimes it can set us up for some disappointment. So how do we give patients the choice? Patients want a choice in how they are managed and the options of what they have when it comes to treatment. Firstly, we need to understand their expectations with treatment. When they're coming to see someone like myself, when they're seeing another physiotherapist or a healthcare, another healthcare professional, what do they expect to happen? Do they expect to have manual therapy? Do they expect to be given a sheet of exercises? Do they expect just to talk for half an hour? If we're doing the opposite of what they expect, we're immediately going to come up against a barrier. If they're expected to be manipulated from head to foot and then you sit there and talk to them for half an hour and don't understand that they want to be manipulated and don't give them a chance to explain why that might not be appropriate or is appropriate, then we're going to come up against some barriers. Also finding out what they enjoy doing. You know, if we're talking about doing some exercises with, with patients, as we should all be doing, what, do they, what type of exercise do they enjoy doing? Do they hate the idea of going to the gym? Because then if you're giving them some gym-based exercises, they might really not like it. If they hate the idea of doing 15 minutes of yoga and we're giving them some static stretches, again, there might be some better options. We know the most important exercise is the one that they actually do. There's no one general exercise that's better than the other. There's something which they're going to enjoy and keep up with on a regular basis is the most important thing. If someone's got a really big fear around doing squats, maybe due to a historical belief that their squats are bad for your knees, and we get them doing squats on day one, it might not be the best decision. We can save it for a later date. And then talk about their treatment options. What happens if we do nothing? What happens if we do some hands-on? What happens if we just talk through their pain? You know, and this all comes down to their prior beliefs. Have they had lots of specific treatment in the past, which they think is really going to help them? You know, if that's manual therapy, for example, we can use that chance and use that manual therapy as an opportunity to gain some rapport and then in time attempt to change their understanding of what we're actually doing. So that brings us nicely to the hands-on versus hands-off debate, which I know is, is rife amongst Twitter circles nowadays. My favorite quote when it comes to talking about manual therapy is the one from Jared Hall, who says, When it comes to manual therapy, treatments don't likely lead to dependency. Narratives and rationales are much more likely the culprits. Don't be scared to put your hands on people. Be scared to make them think they are broken and need your hands to stay better. So that quote from Jared Hall sums up how I think about manual therapy. Now, I'm not here to bash manual therapy. I'm not an anti-manual therapy person. I sit somewhere pretty much in the middle of that debate. What I will say is what we know about or what we initially thought about manual therapy was incorrect. We aren't realigning joints, we aren't putting bones back into place, we aren't releasing tissues or breaking up adhesions, and I remember using these phrases, you know, after I graduated with patients, we know with manual therapy the effects are likely short term and they're non-corrective, i.e. they're not changing structure. Now as I'm sure we've all heard on Twitter, some people do bash manual therapy and I'm not here to do that. It can be quite demoralising, I don't think it really helps to change people's beliefs, I think if anything, it makes people more, more stubborn when it comes to, to, do, to doing stuff, um, it's, you know, especially when people have spent so long doing it. But I think the problems with manual therapy are around how we explain it and how we explain it with patients. That's it. If we're explaining it correctly, it can be beneficial with some patients some of the time. So how do we explain manual therapy? How do I do it? Well, I explain manual therapy as simply a tool that we can use to help reduce some of your pain. It's a bit like a mechanical painkiller. No one would expect a painkiller or a paracetamol to fix their back pain. The same goes for manual therapy. We aren't fixing people with our hands. I like to say that we're giving people a window of opportunity that might help to reduce some of their pain, allows them to go about some of their activities of daily living with maybe less pain or do some exercise. What I will also say is that these results and that anything that anyone does with their hands, if there is any benefit, these, re- these effects are temporary. And the benefits from that, you then have to back up with exercises in order to get the biggest results. But then does this even matter? You know, some people might be sat here listening, thinking, why does it matter how I explain what I do? Does it even matter if the patient gets better? Well, we know that patients' thoughts, fears and beliefs play a massive role in their pain. It's far more complicated than a joint out of place or their pelvic alignment. Now, I remember, as I said, graduating and telling people that their pelvic tilt and rounded shoulders was the cause of their back pain and that through my specialist intervention, whatever that was, their pain would improve. But consider telling a patient that their spine is out and it's causing their leg length discrepancy. We've then corrected it via an adjustment. Do we think that that's reinforcing the message that our bodies are strong and stable or a mentality that we're fragile and we can easily slip in and out of place? We all here know that pelvises don't just go in and out of place. However, lazy language from clinicians who should know better can have effects that last way longer than just the expected recovery time. The next time our patient has an episode of pain during a tennis serve, do we want them thinking their back has slipped out of place or more likely that they've just overloaded their spine it's just a bit sore right now and will largely get better which one is going to help them move exercise and return to work so what we need to be doing as healthcare professionals is gassing up our patients we need to show them that they are resilient robust and strong not broken and weak or fragile and reliant of our hands to fix them so to sum up today's episode what I'd like to think what I'd like you to think about especially the healthcare professionals who are listening is that You know the language that we use has a massive impact on the patient in front of us the future in msk in msk therapy i really believe is really bright we do so much good and there are so many fantastic evidence-based practitioners out there i think we need to shout a bit louder to get our good message out there and drown out some of the nonsense but that's it for today's episode, episode 108. Thank you so much for listening. As a reminder, if you don't already, please head on over to our Instagram at The Back pain Podcast or our Twitter at The Back pain Pod and give us a follow. And if you are a patient who's suffering with back pain, pop on over to thebackpainpodcast.com and pop in your postcode into our provider map and you will find someone local to you to help you with your back pain. Or if you're struggling to find someone, head on over or drop us an email and we can arrange a virtual consultation with myself or Dave to help talk through some of your issues. Or if you just want to chat about your back pain, a second opinion, or some advice on some imaging results, that's what we're here for. But that's it for me. I've been Rob Bevan, your host, over and out, and I'll catch you on the next one.